Cause we got the alternative energy right. On a nuclear free autonomy And welcome to the Radioactive Show Produced at the studios of 3CR Melbourne And heard nationally on the Community Radio Network Hello and welcome to this week's special edition of the Radioactive Show Marking International Day of People with Disability We wanted to share the story of Yami Lester Yankujara man, who has been a central figure and tireless campaigner in the struggle to end the nuclear industry and also for Aboriginal land rights, education and language. As a young boy, Yami was blinded from the black mist of the first atomic test at Emu Junction in South Australia. And over his lifetime, amongst his many achievements, he's been really instrumental in exposing the story of atomic testing and its impacts on Aboriginal people and the land. He is an important activist in the ongoing campaign against the dumping of nuclear waste and is an ambassador of the No Dump Alliance, which has been successfully countering the proposal by state and federal governments to dump national and international nuclear waste. You grew up on a station, and I know you had amazing horse skills. And uh, Yes, I brought up on a station here at Walladina, and... Um Learned to ride horses and uh, riding nose saddles, they call it bareback. Learning that way, we used to go mustering for cattle to next door station called Granite Downs. And we used to walk them a long way from Lumbina Station, Granite Downs, and quite a few nights camping along the way and we come back here and uh, so it was pretty good I liked it it's good fun and so all that changed though in the 1950s when uh, the atomic tests were carried out at Maralinga in Emu Junction tell me about what happened then in 1953 there was a, a EMU um, junction bomb test, and uh, they started there first, the British, uh, and they moved down to Maralinka. We know today is Maralinka, but they were at EMU junction first, which is 160. Uh, from here at Walladina, south from here, and they let the first bomb go, Totem 1, 
place called Mimili. There for a little while I was, and I had a one eye. Um, the right eye gone altogether, and I left when I had uh, something. Um, I'm guessing, I reckon I might have 75 or 80%. Why I say that? Because I can still do uh, tracking, um, see the footprints and all that and do the tracking. Mm-hmm. And uh, 1957, um, I went uh, totally blind then. And they sent me to Adelaide, Royal Adelaide Hospital, Highwood. So that was pretty sad. Yeah. How did you feel at that first stage when you realised that was it, you were going to be blind? Uh, no good. I cried for my eyes. And uh, I didn't understand uh, the hospital people were very good to me and look after me and, and talk to me, but I couldn't understand um, English. I only knew a little bit of station English, rough way. Good man uh, from the Blind Institute uh, was visiting uh, Iwood and uh, met up with me and... Uh, he let um, my best friend, he passed away now, but he was uh, a secretary of the Aboriginal Mission in Adelaide, and uh, he said to me, I didn't hear, but apparently he said, uh, we're going to keep you here, not send you back up north to Hartfield, and we're going to keep you and teach you things here. Um, he said that, but I didn't know, I didn't understand. Mm. And uh, um, he made arrangement for me to uh, go to a children's home called Colbrook Home, and with 57 Aboriginal kids there, and I was too old for to go to that home but they made a special lands for me because there's nowhere else to go. He said, they're going to keep you in Adelaide. You're not allowed to go back up north anymore because it's too hard for you. You're blind. You're going to be blind for forever. You're listening to The Radioactive Show, produced in the studios of 3CR on Wurundjeri Country, Fitzroy, Victoria, and broadcast across the land via the Community Radio Network. You're listening to Yami Lester, telling us a little bit of the story of his life. And this is part of 3CR's special broadcast for the International Day of People with a Disability. When you were in Adelaide, that's where you joined the Aboriginal Advancement League. Is that where you first got active? Yeah, they, they had an um, organisation before me, and in the 60s I would start going there and uh, hearing um, what they talk about and uh, hearing um, late 
uh, Charles Perkins talking in um, Bus Freedom Ride. And I thought it was, that was great. And um, I want to be in it and uh, say things. And, and that's how I started because I listened to him. And another great gentleman was uh, Sir Doug Nichols. He's to come up every uh, every year of NIDOC weekends and give them talks in Adelaide. And he was a great man too. So those two gentlemen were my uh, my heroes. I, I like those two fellas. Tell me about how you ended up working as an interpreter. First of all, I'll tell you, uh, my blind friend, uh, he made arrangement for me to go to Blind Institute to work at the tradesmen and making brooms and, uh, and they were making a lot of things in those days, but I was only uh, the broom. I just, for fun, I uh, calling myself I was a broomologist <laughs> because uh, you know, nobody else is saying that. And uh, I was there for a long time, uh, uh, 13 years, and uh, um, when I was in Adelaide, I was doing part-time interpreting at uh, Adelaide Hospital and uh, sometimes put Augusta Court just part-time. Um, then uh, I um, heard about Reverend Jim Downing doing that great work in Alice Springs Hospital uh, interpreting and all that. So I asked him you reckon you can use me? And uh, he was a busy blog. He didn't hear my letter. I um, recorded on tape uh, for 12 months. And he, anyway, he heard it and he said, oh, yeah, we can we can use you. We'll do a trial, three months try in uh, Alice Springs. And we went up there with um, uh, two kids and uh, my wife. And uh, we were there and uh, for three months. And I finished up staying there for 23 years. And so during that time in Alice Springs, you became involved with Aboriginal education and language more broadly? Yeah, I um, at the Institute for Aboriginal Development I did uh, um, the Reverend Jim Downing was using me to help with pronunciations and uh, and uh, he was teaching a lot of languages been to be Aranda, Walbury, or a lot of other language. And uh, he was a very good worker. And uh, he 
bring the teachers in from from local language speakers and uh, I used to help him with Yangonjara and Bijanjara and and I was um, full-time interpreter to the hospital and uh, going out to bush meetings and then the courthouse and the police station I did for five and a half years and I got tired of doing it. Mm. And uh, I went on to um, uh, Pijanjas at a council um, land rights um, and uh, we did that 1981 got the land rights on the APY and uh, in 1985, we got uh, uh, Uluru Karajuta um, negotiated with the federal government and uh, leased it back to the federal government. 99-year lease. Then Modi Juro people can have Uluru um, Karajuta and, and work there and and I work jointly with the uh, rangers and and they in the park and uh, in um, 92 I retired and come down to back to Walladin we are used to when I was a, a young we are as a kid uh, on the station I used to say we are so what did that feel like, being able to come back to Walatina after all that time? Oh, pretty good. I'm <laughs> broken down now and sitting down. I had a stroke in 2010. Mm. And uh, I'm sitting down now. So um, I was blind before. Now I'm broken down uh, with a walking frame and... and uh, I like to sing a song called Walking Frame Blues. You're listening to the Radioactive Show, broadcast around the country by the Community Radio Network. We'll return with more of Yami's story. I met you on one of the Radioactive Exposure Tours, and, mm. and I guess I first knew of your work because you were really instrumental in gaining recognition of the atomic tests that Maralinga and Emu Field. And also... Yeah, that was very, very mm, hard. Mm. The government gave a very secret, um, and the Prime Minister was very secret, and they're giving very quiet, not only to Aboriginal people, but the ordinary... And non-Aboriginal people too, they never told them what they were doing. Yeah. And so how did you go about raising the awareness of that and also organising to get compensation and a clean-up of the, of the test sites? Yeah, well, when I was working for Institute for Aboriginal Development in Alice Springs, 
one morning I was I had a flu and I, I didn't go to, to the office. I was home and I heard uh, on ABC program called AM program and Sir Ernest Titterton, he was an English scientist and uh, boss and running in uh, Marlinga. And uh, I remember patrol officer, Mr. McDougall, he used to come up and talk to the adults and, and the adults would tell us as kids to come and piss off and, you know, you're making too much noise and all that. And uh, but I learned later, and uh, 1985, what what happened was, patrol officers used to talk and say how many people and put on a big book the names and and um, ask um, uh, not ask but tell them not to go south, walk down to the south of Walladinna. And uh, I remember all this, and, uh, and I ring Adelaide Advertiser, and I said, hey, Sir Ernest Titterton's talking a lot of rubbish. I remember what happened my end. Mm-hmm. And um, I didn't know Adelaide Advertiser was working on uh, Maralinga uh, bomb tests. And uh, I talked to the main one, and he had two fellows working with him, and he said, when I was talking to him, he said, hey, he turned to the two fellas, he said, hey, guys, we found the bomb. <laughs> <laughs> Saying what I knew. And uh, anyway, that's how it started. And um, I was talking a lot, and um, I asked um, Malcolm Fraser when he was Prime Minister, for Royal Commission, he said, nah, nothing doing. And um, when uh, Bob Hawke became a Prime Minister, so I went and asked him for Royal Commission, and he said, no, nothing doing. So Bidander Council told me, Yemi, you're talking too much. Um, you go quiet now. And we can help you. And um, and, and um, I said, okay, I'll go quiet. And um, he got the Pizanda Council asked Uniting Church for money, and they um, sent me to uh, England, London, to talk to uh, scientific uh, people and to the Queen, but she was too busy to have a cup of tea and a cucumber sandwich with me. So, you know, that was okay. And uh, I meeting with scientific six fellas, very smart people. They weren't giving nothing away. And um, I had a meeting with them and come back and in 1984 and uh, 85, uh, Bob Hawke named the Royal Commission on Maralinga, and that was very good. Uh, 
we um, couldn't prove anything because we never had a doctor's uh, medical report because when we got sick here, we never went to doctors, nothing. And nearest the uh, clinic was Annabella Presbyterian Mission. And uh, we didn't go there. We had no transport, only camels, and uh, no truck, nothing. And uh, in a road commission, we couldn't prove anything like that. But what our lawyer did prove, there was radiation fallout over Walladina. Mm. And that's all. So that was pretty good anyway by the lawyers. And so what was the outcome of that? Did you receive compensation? Yeah, some people, not many, Mm. about 14 people got a little bit of compensation. Wow, that's not much at all, is it? Nah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Yeah, Pastor cleaned up, but... Other experts say they didn't clean it properly. Mm. Still some uh, rubbish there, some uh, nuclear still there. Mm. Other experts are saying that. And uh, when I was asking for a royal commission, um, I was, that's my voice, but my um, help come from the um, work people at Maralinka and the Emu, the um, is, uh, soldiers, I think, and they were very good help. And uh, when uh, their turn come, I trying to help them. <laughs> uh, what we call ngaparji ngaparji in our language. Tell me about those issues of access living with a disability and how you overcame them? Oh, living with disability is pretty hard. Very, very hard. Um, when I was just blind and walking and working, it was all right, not too bad. Um, and uh, But now, I can't walk, no good now really not very helpful at all and uh, I just got to put up with it and uh, it's uh, really um, I get it sad sometimes now and again but when I have a friends come and visiting and uh, I get happy and uh, talk to friends I'm happy and uh I've met a lot of friends um, living here and uh, working in uh, Alice Springs and and uh, working with um, land rights movement and Uluru Karajura uh, lands and all that, and it was very, very good. Mm. But now I'm just sitting down and thinking about the world going around, I suppose. <laughs> Something <laughs> yeah. like that. Yeah. 
And so have you seen changes being a young person with a disability back in you know, the 60s and 70s? Do you think it's easier for people nowadays? Yeah, what, what changes have you seen? Um, when you're young, disability, um, to help you to do things and and uh, to, you try to do things and and uh, learn things and and um, you're trying and uh, doing that and uh, but when you get older, there's nothing much you can do as you're older and uh, just sit down and and uh, wait for friends and mm. they can come and talk to you and all that. The young uh, disability work, you can try do things. Mm. Like uh, when I was living in Adelaide, young, um, I play um, blind men's cricket mm. and uh, we used to play that and uh, very good and run around and good fun. We um, went to Sydney, a carnival every two years, Brisbane, Hobart, Melbourne, Adelaide. Mm. That was good. But when I went away from there to Alice Springs, it was different. Mm. Different work. Sounds to me like for people living in more remote areas or, you know, as people age, there is a big gap in the support services that are available for people. It's a bit bit hard now, but I think um, government and uh, Aboriginal organisations trying to do something now for, for old people that got disabilities uh, on uh, APY land and or somewhere else down to Satuna Way or uh, Oak Valley or anywhere like that and and in uh, Northern Territory and they're trying to help uh, uh, aged care and uh, come and caring for the old people. They're trying to do that now for Aboriginal um, uh, people and the government that are trying to do that now. Mm, good to hear, yeah. Now I've got to go and have a drink of water now, cold water. It's summer's day today, they tell me. ABC. <laughs> Thanks, Yami. Thank I'll speak to you soon. Bye. Bye. Thanks for tuning into the Radioactive Show and I hope you've enjoyed these stories from Yami Lester's life. Yami still continues the campaign to stop the nuclear industry and regular listeners would have heard from his daughters, Rose and Karina Lester, who are at the forefront of the successful organising that has seen South Australians for the most part rejecting the Nuclear Fuel Cycle Royal Commission's proposal to import 138,000 tonnes of high-level and long-lived nuclear waste from around the world. To hear more on nuclear peace and energy issues, you can find our podcast at 3cr.org.au and if you have any feedback, 
please get in contact with us via our Facebook page, The Radioactive Show, or email us on radioactiveshow.3, that's a number, cr at gmail.com. This show was produced in the studios of 3CR Community Radio on the stolen lands of the Wurundjeri, now known as Fitzroy, Victoria, and it can be heard around the country thanks to the great work of the Community Radio Network. And this show has been a part of 3CR's special broadcast for the International Day of People with Disability. Thanks for tuning in. And we'll go out with Marilinga by Johnny Lovett and the Yalada Band.
You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.